human beings is, and what will you be when you grow up? And I remember one time someone asked my son that, he was three, and he replied, I'm going to be a bee, <laughs> which wasn't really the expected answer. Um, and he sort of got the sense of that. But I thought it was lovely to imagine your future work as being a bee, how productive that is. Um, the next time he was asked, he said, Timmy the dog, uh, which also wasn't the right answer. But eventually he discovered that people wanted to hear either police officer or fireman. <laughs> so he got the message eventually. Our question is, how much work is too much work? And I think if we went outside and we found someone on the streets and asked them this question, the average Aussie would probably answer, any work is too much work. Um, I think we live in a culture where there's a sense of work is something that you just have to put up with and you look forward to the time when you have leisure or pleasure. In fact, I, I understand that there's a word in Brazil, Brazil um, the word for work is actually to interrupt pleasure. <laughs> so that answer, though, I think probably reveals a false story about work. There are some false stories about work that we have, and I think these false stories have infiltrated the way we see our work. So this morning what I want to do is look at some of those false stories, about five false stories about work. And just for us to examine, have we actually bought into some of those false stories of work? And then we'll have a look at what the Bible says as a better story for our work. And then we'll finish up and really sort of drill down to this question, how much work is too much work? And I want to say that uh, when I talk about work, I don't want you just to think about paid work. That's actually probably one of the false stories about work. When we say the word work, often we just think paid work. But when God looks down and sees the work that we do, he's not just interested in the work that we get paid to do. He's interested in all the different sorts of work that we do. So it includes the creative work that we might do. It includes the housework that we do to keep our houses running. It includes all the different care work we do, whether that's care for children or it might be care for parents um, or care for friends. It's also about the work that we do in church as well. And, of course, it does include our paid work. So what I'm going to put up are some of the false stories about work. Here are five false stories about work. The first one is that my work, my focus is on my leisure time, not my work. That was basically that first one that I talked about. I think most people think of work in this way um, in Australia. Certainly if you listen to songs and popular culture, you know, um, I'm old enough to know the Loverboy song, we're all just working for the weekend. Or maybe it's another Manic Monday, or it's Monday, but I've got Friday on my mind. Um, almost every song in popular culture about work is talking about how it's horrible and you can't wait for the weekend. I think that's the general idea about work that's out there. The next one is almost the exact opposite. And I think this is something we're seeing increasingly in our society, this idea that our work should be the source of our meaning and purpose. And in fact, I think in popular culture, uh, sorry, in, in workplace land, they want to really um, encourage this as well. So, for example, I was teaching a course and one of the guys worked for Apple and he was just working in an Apple showroom. 
Um, but he said that when you work for Apple, you're given the Apple credo. So it's almost religious language, isn't it? And this is the creed by which you do your work. Um, and one of their things is that they guarantee that within Apple, you'll be able to work and find purpose. The third one is that work is cursed. Um, I suspect that this comes a little bit from uh, Bible stories, but it's a misrepresentation. This idea that, that work itself is cursed, the curse of work we hear sometimes. The fourth one is that work is just about earning money. That's, that's all it is. That's all we should care about with work. And the last one is that work is all about me. It's all about my drive, my ambition, my success. I don't know if you've ever worked with someone who believes in that. I've worked with someone like that. I don't like working with people who see it that way because they're all focused on their own work. So those are the five false stories. What I'd love you to do, if you're comfortable, is just chat to the person next to you. Which of those stories resonates? Which ones do you see lived out in people around you? Which ones maybe you lived a little bit yourself um, in some of your work? Um, which ones do you think infiltrate into our ideas about work? So feel free to have a chat, and online if you want to just type in the, the chat box some of your ideas. How many of these false stories feel real to you? Okay. Hopefully that's enough time to get some ideas and to share them. Awesome. Fantastic. I'm really impressed. My favorite group to talk to uh, is teachers because when you say, okay, come back, it's instant. Absolutely <laughs> instant. But you guys are pretty good. I'm really impressed. Sometimes, you know, I'm there, hello, hello, <laughs> come back. Anyway, you can continue those conversations later. I'm going to talk a little more about some of these false stories, some of these things you might have already discussed. Um, so this first one, I, 
I know these are popular false stories because I've got a meme for every story, okay? So Games of Game of Thrones fans, here is your moment. Uh, so yes, so here he is and, you know, the woman he's been searching for, he finally gets to embrace her and that's the weekend. And then Monday is the dragon. Uh, <laughs> this is what I think a lot of people think. The weekend is, is the best thing and work is just something I have to do. Work is something that interrupts my leisure and my pleasure. I had a friend uh, who was trying to uh, go to a financial planner and the financial planner kept saying um, to him, oh, well, you know, um, soon you'll be able to stop work and you'll be able to retire, you know, really early. You've done really well. And he was like, no, I really enjoy my job. And next time he went to the financial planner, the financial planner said, you know, we should really start planning for your retirement now because you have enough. And he was like, no, I enjoy my work. I want to keep working. But that did not even come into the financial planner's idea. Um, he thought that everyone just wants to work for as little as possible so that you can really enjoy your retirement. Even if you think this, I suspect that, um, I suspect that you know that life is not just about leisure and pleasure. Um, I think all of us feel that there's got to be something more. We might feel guilty if we enjoy work, if we believe in that false story. I think we know that work is something more important, that we were not just made for leisure. Unfortunately, if you're thinking about how much work is too much work and your focus is on leisure, then you don't want to do any work at all, do you? <laughs> the second myth, work is my source of meaning and purpose. So I saw this, uh, this meme, uh, this quote from Stephen Hawking. I can't give it a direct attribution, to be honest, but it was around quite a lot. Work gives you meaning and purpose, and life is empty without it. Stephen Hawking, the famous physicist, apparently said that. And I think there are some people who live this. In fact, um, the Harvard Business Review did a survey and discovered that nine out of 10 employees would be prepared to sacrifice some of their pay for a greater sense of meaning in their work. Uh, so 90% of people would actually prefer some meaning in their work and they'd be prepared to let go some of their pay for it. I won't take a vote in this congregation, that's okay. But that's how important people see meaning and purpose. Now, if that is your idea, then how much work is too much work? Well, you, you want to keep working, don't you? If that's your source of significance, then you want to keep doing work. But I think we realize that it's a little bit dangerous to only get your sense of meaning and purpose from work. And that is because you can get fired, can't you? <laughs> or you can may, be made redundant or you can retire. And what happens to your sense of meaning and purpose if it has only operated around work? So it's a bit of a dangerous idea to think like that. Uh, the next myth is that work is cursed. I could have had like 300 memes for this one, but I, I quite like these ones, particularly for Melbourne. We love our coffee. Um, but getting ready for work, and because work is so hard, you need an absolutely ginormous cup of coffee. Or the next one, um, there were quite a few like this. Me driving home from work, knowing I'm only going home to eat and sleep so I can do it all again tomorrow. <laughs> Sobbing in the car. Yeah, 
So that idea is that work is cursed. Work is this unfortunate thing that you just put up with that you don't really enjoy. And if that is your idea, if that is the story that you live by, then how much work is too much work? Well, any work again, because you actually want to escape from the curse of work. So that's false story three. False story four is that work is just about earning money. I come from a family who love watching The Devil Wears Prada, and this is a scene from that movie. When a co-worker is testing your patience, but you've got bills to pay, so you sit there trying to calm down like, I love my job, I love my job, I love my job. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. Um, there was another one that I almost chose, and it was in a job interview situation, and the job interviewer is asking the uh, person who's applying for the job, so why do you want this job? And the person who's responding is like, duh, I've got to pay the bills, <laughs> which is not the right answer if you're ever going for a job, by the way. You know, it's like, I want to really uh, help this organization to meet its goals or something like that. But that's the reality, isn't it? There is a functional aspect of work, and we do have to work to earn money in some way. But if it's just about earning money, if that's the only thing that you work for, then how much work is too much work? Well, you just work the minimum that you needed uh, for the money that you need to live on. But I think there's a sense that we know that work is more than that. Work isn't just about earning money. Um, that there is something more significant to work. So the fifth story, the last false story I want to talk about today, work is all about me, my drive, my ambition, my success. And once again, I could have chosen a few memes. Uh, this one particularly made me vomit. Um, <laughs> work so hard that one day your signature will be called an autograph. Oh, man. You'd have to be really full of yourself to think that, wouldn't you? But anyway, quite popular, apparently, as a meme. Um, I do see people who, who work like this in the workplace, and I, yeah, I think it's, it's awful, actually, sometimes. If you've ever been worked with someone like that, where they're, they're only focused on themselves and what they can achieve, um, and other people, work colleagues, are just to be used by them so that they can achieve their goals. If this is your view, how much work is too much work, well, <laughs> you're so driven by work that you will actually work at the cost of relationships, at the cost sometimes of your own health. So those are the false stories. Those are the false stories that we see sometimes lived out by different people um, in the workplace. And I think those false stories can sometimes infiltrate our own understanding of what work is and what work is all about. But what's a better story to live by? What's a better story for our work? I think the gospel has a better story for our work. The Bible has a better story for our work. So let's have a bit of a look at that. Um, so looking at our first reading today, then God said, let us make humankind in our image and our likeness. So that's the first thing we need to realize, that we're made in the image of God. And don't forget, when he does this, he's just finished his magnificent work of creation. He's been working. So we're made in the image of a God who works. What that means is that work is intrinsic to who we are as human beings. We're made to work. Work is part of what it means to be human. And increasingly, we're seeing science back this up. 
it used to be that if you had um, issues of mental health and so on, that people would say, well, don't work. But they're now advising people to work because they realise ritual work is really important for mental health. Work is not just something that is good for us, earning money and so on. It's actually good for us as our whole person. It's good for our physical health, mental health, social health and so on. Work is intrinsic to who we are as human beings. But we also see that work is the very first command that God gives human beings. So God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. We're actually given the command to work, to steward God's creation. And we do this through our just ordinary work. This is the way that we do this, fulfill this command. So we are definitely made for work, not leisure. And work has a greater meaning and purpose, not because of the work itself, but because it's, it's something that's been given to us by God. It's a responsibility from God. He's given us this responsibility to be his representatives in doing this work in the world. In our second reading, we see this developed a little bit further in the Genesis 2. Genesis 2, of course, is a retelling of the creation story from a slightly different angle with a bit more colour. And we see in verse 5 that there was no one to work the ground. God had, had made this creation. He's made this beautiful garden, and he says there's no one to work it. And that's when he makes human beings. And then we realise that we're actually made to work with God, work alongside God in the work that we do. So the Lord God took the human being, put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. Now something we might miss in the English version of those words is what's happening in the Hebrew. Uh, so the words there, to work the earth and to take care of the garden, are avad and shema. And they're Hebrew words that are used later in the Pentateuch to talk about the work of the priests in the temple. So the priests are to worship and serve God, avad, and they're to keep the law, Shema. So you see, there's an intrinsic link here in linguistically about work and worship. We're to work with God and we're to do it as an act of worship. And we see this even more beautifully in this little vignette. I don't know if you've tried to imagine it in your mind. Can you imagine that, that God is there and he brings the animals before the human being to see what the human being will name it. It's such a lovely image, isn't it, um, of God working alongside human beings with this important responsibility of naming animals, of, of bringing forth the name of the animal. Was there too much work at this stage? I suspect there wasn't. I don't think God made us so that there was too much work for us to do. But that's not the end of the story, is it? What happens next, very shortly, is that evil and sin enter the garden, and along with everything else, relationship with work is changed forever. So there are some curses that are pronounced and in um, Colossian, uh, sorry, <laughs> Genesis 3, we see this curse that is related to work. But if we read the words here, we realize that it's not work itself that is cursed. What is cursed? 
it's the ground, yeah. It's the context of work, the process of working is actually impacted. And that's our experience, isn't it? Work is harder than it needs to be. It's painful toil. It does feel like painful toil sometimes. And there are thorns and thistles that come up that interfere with our work. Um, I often call it information technology. You may have other words for the thorns and thistles in your work. Sometimes it's work colleagues. <laughs> and then it's by the sweat of our brow that we have to work. It's, it's tiring and it's exhausting sometimes. We have to work so much harder to achieve what presumably was so much easier before. There's been a break. There's been a break in our relationship with God, so we, it's harder to work alongside God. There's a break in our relationship with each other, so sometimes there's conflict in the workplace. And there's a break in creation. We can't uh, fill in creation as much as we'd love to do. But that's not the end of the story. Sin doesn't win out. Because, of course, Jesus came to redeem the world. He came to redeem us. He came to redeem work as well. Colossians 1, 15 to 20 is one of those beautiful passages that describes all that Jesus has achieved through his death and resurrection. And he's now sovereign over the whole earth. He's sovereign over our workplaces, over all the contexts in which we do our work. And it says there that in Jesus, all things hold together. As it says in verse 19 there, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians that, that we are part of this responsibility of reconciliation. We're assigned as agents of reconciliation. And we can do that through our work we can do that in our work as well. We can try and hold back evil. We can try and promote what is good in our workplaces. And hopefully, we can give people a little taste or a little fragrance of what the kingdom of God is like in our work. So work has a higher purpose than just earning money, doesn't it? There's something more significant to it. And work is not just about us and what we can do. We're working for the Lord. <laughs> so how much work is too much work? Um, in this practical response to this question, um, I want to give an example from my own life. So I'll tell you about the moment when on Facebook I was contacted by Mark <laughs> and asked if I would preach on this topic. And I had to actually go through a bit of a, a thinking process about that. You see, my work is not just about me. It's about my relationship with God. And I need to bring the work that is offered to me before God. And I had to stop and pray. I had to pray about the priorities that I was thinking about in terms of this weekend and what I would do. I also had to consider the impact of taking this work and think about the impact and all the other work I do. What impact would it have on my work as a wife, as a mother, my work as a congregation member of my other church, <laughs> my work as a board member and work in the community? How do I balance all those different priorities? 
Also, I had to think about the rhythms of work and rest. Was this taking on too much work? Was this another weekend of work? Would I have enough time to rest on Monday? You see, uh, it's hard to keep things in balance, isn't it? Um, and I think the word balance is unhelpful when we think about work. I really don't like the term work-life balance. I think it's impossible to keep two things that aren't consistent in balance. But the rhythm is the helpful thing. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Um, on the sixth day, God finished his work. On the seventh day, God rested. Why did he rest? He wasn't tired, was he? God doesn't tire. He didn't get exhausted from all the work he did and then just decide to rest. I think he rested for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is so that he could look at the work that he had done. He could reflect on the work he had done. But I think also he knew that we would need to rest. And so Jesus actually says in, in Mark 2 that the Sabbath was made for man, for humanity, not humanity for the Sabbath. God put this in place for our sake to help us. So I think the idea of rest is really important, but we need a rhythm of work and rest. We can't control our work sometimes, and sometimes we will work a lot. But what we need to do is try and make sure that we plan a time of rest after that. I remember one time I was speaking at an event put on by City on a Hill, actually, and um, this woman was saying how she worked uh, in a financial area. She was a team leader. And she said around the end of um, the financial year, work would just get out of control because they were trying to sort of finish up the books and so on. And she said she would always feel guilty at that time because she was trying to figure out how does she fit in her Sabbath time? How does she fit in her time with God? Um, does she leave her team still working um, to do that? And I said to her, I think it's better actually to work alongside your team because we should share the burden of the work. But I said, think about the example that you set in that context. You're working hard there, but you and your team need a time of rest after. How can you set an example of resting after that as well? So rhythms of work and rest, I think, is something we have to do. I think sometimes, and you know, when I was asked to do this by Mark, you know, there was a little bit of my ego that, that stood up there. I mean, what an honor to come and preach to Oak Tree Anglican. I mean, this is fantastic. It's going straight on my resume. There was a bit of ego attached to it, and I had to examine myself. Am I doing this just so I can say I was Oak Tree Anglican? Um, and I also had to think about uh, my desire as well. Was I doing this for the right reason? Um, was it something um, I could see that God wanted me to do? Was it something that I wanted to do? The other thing I think you need to consider is your unique gifting and capacity. We're all made differently. Some people, we could compare ourselves to some people and think, wow, I'm hardly doing anything. Um, I told this to the earlier congregation. Um, at Ridley College, I was in an office next to Michael F. Bird. I always put the F in because that's what he puts on all his books. Um, he was unbelievable. He would produce two books a year as well as teaching and doing all his other work. He was phenomenal. If I compare myself to him, then I would just think um, a 
a real underachiever. But there will always be people who have more capacity for you. Um, and there will always be people who have less capacity. Yesterday I was speaking um, at a seminar and there was a guy there with chronic fatigue. He's seen his own capacity shrink hugely. He doesn't know how much work he'll be able to do each day. So his life has changed dramatically. And maybe you will have a season of life where you have a lot less capacity. So we need to realize that we're made differently. But God sees us. God knows us, what, knows what we're capable of. He doesn't ask us to do more work than we're capable of. And ultimately, he's the ultimate boss. So I guess what I want to say is that what we need to do is work this out in relationship with God. We have to trust God that he knows us and he has already determined the work that he wants us to do. We're not called in our work to be successful. We're called to be faithful. And we have to trust that he will provide what we need. Let me pray for us and then I'll open up to some questions. Father God, thank you so much that you do give us good work to do. It may not at times be paid work. It may not sometimes be the work we would choose for ourselves. But it's work that needs to be done. And it's work often that you've given us unique gifting to be able to do. I pray that you help us to understand and know the work that you want us to do. For those who are sitting here um, who are under enormous pressure in their workplaces, I pray, Lord, that you will enable them and give them agency to be able to, to define what work is possible, what work is healthy. And I pray, Lord, that if that means a change, then you will provide for them and their needs. I pray for those who don't have enough work to do, who wish this was a problem for them. And I pray that they would know your peace. I pray that they would be able to trust you for the work that they need to be able to live. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to realize when we've taken on too much, not because you want us to do that work, but because it's a matter of ego or a matter of desire. Help us to be honest with ourselves and with you. And help us to make the right decision about that. Thank you, Lord, that you created work, <laughs> that you made us in the image of you, a worker. That work can be something through which we can worship you. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to have a right story that we live by in terms of our work going forward. In Jesus' name.